The last time I spoke at a gathering at the King's Fund was shortly before the 2015 general election. And my brief then was to address the question whether there could be in that election and therefore subsequently a grown-up debate about health and social care, the financial implications, the structural implications. And I said with total confidence and without any qualification that any hope for a grown-up debate, forget it. The 2015 election would be fought on the usual fantasy tax and spend games. And even though people like Andy Burnham at the time, then Labour's health spokesman, was urging his leadership to be more grown up in public, I knew for sure that they wouldn't feel able to do so. And so we had a fantasy election in 2015 about who would meet the deficit target first. The deficit target was never met, and there was no grown-up discussion in that election about health and social care. The tragedy about the 2017 election, a wholly underexplored dimension of it, is that in its own erratic, eccentric way, it broke this tedious pattern of fantasy tax and spend elections. Theresa May, wholly ineptly, but on one level bravely and admirably, broke that pattern, and in a very different way, Jeremy Corbyn and John MacDonald did as well. It was the first election fought around questions about how do we pay for social care? Who pays? In what form? Now, the tragedy took two forms, and it's going to set this debate back, I fear, many decades. One was that Theresa May, by calling the early election in a kind of Shakespearean way, unleashed forces that turned on herself. She was wholly unsuited to put the case for radical change. That manifesto, if you read it now, remains an extraordinary document in many ways. There she was parading a series of radical and in some ways ill-judged proposals, and all she could talk about was strong and stable leadership. The gap between the need to prepare the ground and explain and her own projection was darkly comic. And therefore, nearly all Conservative MPs I've spoken to have already reached the conclusion you cannot be candid at a general election about the cost of safe funding elderly care. The fact that it was the wrong proposition, that it wasn't around pooling of risk but allowed opponents to call it a dementia tax, was part of the problem. But the problem now is perceived as being you can't do any of this in an election campaign. And if you can't do it in an election campaign, it prevents you doing it once you've won or lost that election campaign. The other great problem is that because she lost her overall majority in that campaign, she has lost all authority and all practical means to contemplate anything radical or daring at all from planning, albeit wrongly, but sensibly in theory, for a framework to 
provide for social care and to some extent address some of the structural issues and its relationship with the NHS and so on. There was no reference to it whatsoever in the Queen's speech of any significance. And so instead from an attempt at a more grown-up debate at an election, we moved to the haphazard politics of a hung parliament. Now, haphazard politics is not always, for the NHS, a catastrophe. It means for sure there will be no sensible planning, there will be no thoughtful reforms, because instead of thinking or saying within number 10 or the Treasury, for the Treasury for sure, or indeed the Department of Health, what do we need to do and how do we do it? The first question they all pose neurotically is, will this be defeated? Can we get this through the House of Commons? So do not expect in this hung parliament a series of coherent reforms or proposals for you to either support or oppose. No one will have the space to do it, partly because of that energy-sapping Brexit, but also because of the fear of defeat when anything contentious comes up. But that very fear of defeat means, it seems to me, that this very precarious government, and in my view, in one respect, it's more precarious than the last minority government we had for a long period of time, which was the Labour government between 74 and 79. In effect, it began a minority government, ended one. This one is weaker because at least that Labour government was perceived to have sort of won when it took over. It replaced a Conservative government. This one is perceived to have lost but has carried on in power. And it seems to me that puts it in a weak position. And with Brexit again sucking up all its energy, I don't think it can afford a vivid NHS crisis. Now, by vivid, I'm sure many of you in the room already have concluded the NHS is in crisis. But a winter crisis where the Daily Mail has front pages of the NHS in disarray, that was, by the way, what triggered the Labour funding increase announced on David Frost's sofa one Sunday morning by Tony Blair. This government can't do it. And even if it was inclined to force its way through the storms of that kind of media campaign, it takes very few MPs concerned about their increasingly small majorities in a number of seats to make sure something is done. So even if Philip Hammond, who is a technocrat rather than a great political thinker, doesn't announce in a clear way a series of increases beyond what is already announced, there will be, my guess, at certain points, emergency injections of cash, because in a hung parliament, a government can only survive if it addresses the concerns at the very least of its MPs and, indeed, its few supportive newspapers. So be prepared for a bumpy ride, one wholly dominated by Brexit. Under normal, sane circumstances, health and social care would be the number one issue. It's hardly taking up any attention at all. It should do, but only will do, as I say, at moments of crisis for this, in effect, minority government.
Thank you very much.